Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening. After your first day of cycling, one dream is inevitable. A memory of motion lingers in the muscles of your legs, and round and round they seem to go. You ride through dreamland on wonderful dream bicycles that change and grow. down a little bit. Yes, you're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show here on 3CR, podcasting, streaming or listening on the transistor in the kitchen, 855 on the AM dial. Many thanks to Democracy Now! and Amy Goodman. I've got to say, I listen to Amy five days a week, keeping up with the news around the world as well as just America. We've got a bit of a show coming up. We've got the uh, lockdown show again. So this is recording in the comfort of the home and patching this radio show together. We've got a couple of things going on as a show. That quote at the top of the show, H.G. Wells, who is indelibly connected to the bicycle by those quotes of his, I do rarely use them, but I'll use that one this morning to do a short little um, history tract about tying H.G. Wells together with a couple of 
dystopian and utopian ideas. I've had a lovely little bike moment this week. Well, I might retract that a little bit. I've always been a little bit um, hesitant about um, facilitating the uh, carrying of dogs on bicycles. I know it's a wonderful thing, and many lovely small dogs love it. Um, There is a new puppy in the park, a quite delightful little puppy, a very small Scottish terrier, already showing signs of dominance at only 10 months old. It's quite interesting. Anyway, I was there watching young little puppy get its first ride trapped in a basket on the back of the bike. And like a lot of those things, it didn't seem to go well at first. Um, I'm not sure that that dogs are attracted as much as we are to that sense of flying through the air. I'm sure some dogs get used to it and yes. Anyway, that was a funny little bike moment. Thanks for that, Val. This is Faith. My bike moment this week, I think uh, I'll choose the one from the first day we had to wear masks in uh, Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire. We've been wearing them in a few contexts for a couple of weeks now, but it was the first day that they were compulsory whenever you left your home for most of us. And I had to ride up uh, the Mooney Ponds Creek path to Pasco Vale to pick up a few things. So it was really interesting to see uh, A, 99.9% of people wearing them and pedestrians and cyclists. There was uh, a lot of disposable masks, but so many really cool sort of expressive masks, fabric masks that people have either made themselves or bought, but really using them as a, another means to express themselves and, and maybe make up for the lack of expression you, you feel when half your face is covered. So good to see. Talking about bike moments, one of my favourite bike moments is when I was about 15, maybe 16, and a friend and I wanted to go to Bowen Heads and visit her surfy uncle. Our parents weren't too keen on getting us down there, so we decided to ride our bikes. We caught the train to South Geelong, and I can't remember now the route we took, but I do remember a reasonably short but magical ride. I was on my single-speed girls' Malvern Star, and she had borrowed her dad's racer, which I was pretty jealous of at the time. But what made us think we could do that? For me, it was reading my uncle's copies of Freewheeling magazine. For those of you who don't know, Freewheeling magazine was published in Australia between 1977 and 1989. And it documents a lot of great touring and a lot of the debate going on at the time about cities planning for bicycles and giving people choices about the ways they get around. Also other big debates going on at that period, like the helmet debates. The publisher of Freewheeling was Warren Solomon, and I caught up with him recently to chat about Freewheeling magazine and cycling in Australia in the 70s and 80s. In 1974, I moved to Sydney. I I grew up in Brisbane, and 
when I, I I'd sort of I'd been on it, you know, I had a bike since nine or ten or something, and I lived in a community outside of Brisbane where it was just you know the way to get around for kids. Uh, when I moved to Sydney, I I was quite taken back by the the whole inner city concept. It's the same in Melbourne. I mean, it's the walking the old walking distance city. And uh, suddenly with a bicycle, um, it was very uh, accessible. I could get everywhere on a bicycle. I thought, isn't this terrific? And so, you know, very soon after that, I got involved in the bike, the Bicycle um, Institute of New South Wales that I just started. And uh, also around about that time, I think a little bit earlier, I, I got involved with a group of people who started a small printing press. Now, in those days we didn't have instant print and high-speed photocopiers and things like that and so we used to do we were the sort of the the, the little small-scale lefty printers in in our part of sydney and there were a couple of other little presses too tomato press ours was ours was called amber press and uh, you can kind of get the drift by those names and uh and it was it was very exciting in those times and uh and, but I was sort of thinking, well, I've got this really burning interest in cycling and, and uh, also I thought, well, I have the means of production now. I've, I, I've got a source of a, at least a wholesale supply of paper to print it on. So why don't I do something uh, that I'm interested in rather than something that the customers are interested in? So that's how Freewheeling was born. I was the second president of the Bicycle Institute of New South Wales, now called Bicycle New South Wales. And uh, it was, um, it was, a, I mean, I look back on those times and I sort of I look at photos of myself and I think, oh, well, you know, <laughs> uh, it's changed a lot. But I mean, we were just very, you know, raw and very interested in just getting out there and doing something and doing things. So the magazine was a really important thing. So I started freewheeling, but also at the same time, I used to print Push On, which was the Bicycle Institute of New South Wales magazine. And around about that time, we started a first, first ever Sydney bike show in the Paddington Town Hall. And uh, so we were doing lots of things and uh, we were just basically out there doing it. Um, um, and uh, we were, in a, in a way, learning as we went along. So that was about it. Um, and uh, the, the production values were, you know, it was very much mono, black and white um, in the early days. Uh, full colour didn't come along until I could afford to do it. And so in the early days, it was mostly volunteers that, that produced it, um, a group of us that were involved in Bicycle politics, I suppose you could say. Um, when the wheels are set in motion, blues cuts above, so why don't you come along on this ride? It wasn't just uh, sitting back documenting it. We were in there, we were, you know, expressing an opinion, pushing as much as we could. In the city, we could get around all, all right, but then as traffic started to increase and it started to become, you know, there was contested space out there, we had to yeah. kind of do more and we became politically active. And, and that was really, I think, you know, all around the world this was kind of happening, but we were doing it, we were doing our own thing here in Australia, I guess. What was a big surprise to me was when I discovered that the, 
the whole thing in the Netherlands was only a fairly recent thing mm -hmm. that, that in a sense there was a time when we were in a way on a level on a similar mm -hmm. footing but we're not the Netherlands and and uh, I, I always say to people we have as many garages in our and as many bicycles in our garages as as the people in the Netherlands do but we don't use ours as much as they and and for various reasons uh, but I think and and people like Alan Park I mean Alan Alan was a wonderful advocate, but his background was the campaign for nuclear disarmament in the UK. And, you know, he was of that kind of lefty headbanger sort of um, <laughs> approach to politics where you thump the table and you, you know, you expect to get a reaction. And, and Alan was, he had, he built his, you know, he had people like Don Dunstan, the columnist mm -hmm. at the, uh, the Herald, uh, and uh, even got a couple of good ministers on site. Yeah. And, and so it, it was starting to happen. And the Geelong bike plan was really, that kind of opened the gates for a lot of the things that, that happened. Um, and a big conference they organised to when that was released in Geelong in, um, in uh, I think it was end of 1988, 1989, that brought international people over and that made... You know that kind of put us on the map in a sense in terms of what we were doing back then, and so it sort of you know gave a big impetus to the development of let's look at what good bike facilities. You know you can't just go out there and ride with the traffic. You've, you've got to you've got to have something a bit more. And my regret in some ways that it really we we we've been messing around a little bit too too much with bicycle lanes and things like that, whereas. Mm. Really, I think the way the Dutch have proven, particularly with the the numbers and the and the, particularly the, the way it's much safer in the UK, in in Netherlands to cycle, that it's separated facilities that really matter. And it's great to see now that it's all kind of you know there's so much more fantastic facilities being you know pop and pop ups too now. <laughs> We've got pop ups. That's wonderful. But freewheeling's kind of beginnings came from. Uh, I mean, I when I moved to Sydney, I was I the first um, oh, twenty years of living in Sydney was really in share houses, group houses, and that, and with uh, lots of people, but very much feminist houses as well. The the uh, my partner, my my son's mother, is actually. Um, she was very much into the, the Sydney feminist scene back in those days, my current partner, um, uh, much the same. You know, we can sort of look back on those days and see, you know, women's centres and uh, women's health centres and the whole um, anti-abortion thing. Uh, it was very big. And so we were very much part of the scene to be, you know, to, to actually try and unwind this kind of... Um, you know, misogyny that was very deeply rooted in our in our culture, like you know, like racism and that. So it was very much a thing that we we're all uh, involved in. And if you look at the early freewheelings and you look at the people, the list of volunteers that produced, particularly up to issue four, because that was up to issue four. I printed those issues, and they were all basically put together by this group of volunteers and um, even the typesetter well we paid the typesetter but um, they were a little graphics 
company that was kind of organized like we were and um and they were all a bunch of um, um, uh, pretty active feminists as well so it was very much part of what we were trying to do was to include the whole issue and we were very much aware or made aware particularly you know articles by jim fitzpatrick and that uncovering the incredible um contribution that early women cyclists had made to to australian cycling and so a lot of the early issues actually yes they they do highlight those those things and then i guess one of the things that i look on with the development of freewheeling was that uh because i suppose you've got to you've got to pay the bills at some stage particularly when you start it with volunteers you get to a point where not only does not only do you have to pay for things but also your volunteers are starting to burn out as well and um and so you've got to really you know get income from various ways we we had a good subscriber list good support from subscribers um, but advertising is really the way you know we covered our costs and bills and then the further that that went on and particularly in the last 10 years where there was where before i sold the magazine it was much more a commercial concern much more uh, i suppose you could say a lot of a lot more advertising and along with a lot more advertising and a lot more outward looking in terms of the bigger picture from the cycling scene taking in more of the racing scene i guess it starts to get a little bit you know um affected by the um the way cycling is out in the bigger wider world sort of thing and that's mm -hmm. a very much male thing i mean there's always the talk of the 80 20 thing 80 percent men 20 percent women but i like to sort of think that what we were doing particularly in the early days up until probably the last year of publication um it was very much trying to encourage um you know, a more equitable approach to cycling, more men, more women, yeah. you know, more kids doing it. It, uh, yeah, and, and we're also interested in touring too, because in those days we had this wonderful thing where you could take a fully laden touring bike in the baggage compartment of a train and off you would go and uh, when my son grew into his teens which is i think around about in the 80s in mid 80s we used to go on these summer holidays where we'd where we'd go to the end of one branch line with the bikes on the train get off the train ride to another branch line and uh, come back home again and, and there was a week of cycling in between we you know camp out and stuff like that one of the things that we we did as well was um we had a we started an organization uh the, the people that i was working with at the time uh, well on the magazine uh, there's a guy called michael burlace and and uh, and we started this organization called bicycle australia and the idea was we were going to develop um long distance routes and get them you know document them get them signposted and produced um guidebooks uh, yeah. they'd sort of done this in america in 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 17 in 1976 for their bicentennial they had this big a, a series of small group rides right across the country to start this off and that started the bike 
bike centennial organization which is now called adventure cycling and um we wanted to do that here and uh, we even actually the group uh the main purpose of starting the group was to get funding uh, during our bicentenary in 1988 to to do a similar thing and uh unfortunately the the powers that be of that organization at the time wanted a big splash event and eventually the, they gave the money for the support for the event to the guy who'd been organising the Great Victorian bike ride up until that stage, and they organised a ride from Melbourne up to Sydney. It, it didn't attract a huge number of people like they'd expected, but it was a successful event. And that also produced the split that Bicycle Victoria took on the ownership. It, it owned the bike, it owned the Great Vic, Great Vic ride, and it took it on from there on in and, and really built it up after that. But going back to the original rides, the, the routes that we developed, we developed a, a um, basically back roads route from Melbourne to Sydney and from Sydney up to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And then in 19, I think it was 1985, myself and a few others actually rode from Sydney up to Brisbane um, over a two-week period, and, uh, which was one of, the, one of the best things I've done in my life, I think. It was a lovely, a lovely uh, ride. And I occasionally get people that, you know, contact me and say, uh, I know we produced, a, mag- we produced a, a guidebook with help from the state government. And um, that was, oh, I think we only printed about two and a half thousand copies and they got sold. And, and now I, I get people contact me and they say, oh, I've just ridden that route and it's pretty well sealed now and some parts have got too much traffic and, you know. Mm. So it's sort of still out there, but it was never signposted, unfortunately. And, and that was the kind of, that was just another project that we started that never got finished, I suppose, you know. But, I mean, that, those kind of, I only wished, um, I mean, I'm in my early 70s now and um, I've got a, I'm not sort of, um, not as uh, sprightly as I was back then when I was in my 20s and 30s, but I still like to ride and we still do bike rides, my my partner and I, but um, a two-week ride to Brisbane, I said to Alison a little while ago, why don't we do that, you know, and... Three CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Vacro Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. To find out more, Google Vacro or drop into the underground car park. Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. Yeah, get on that bicycle and ride. Neath the sunny skies or along the ocean side. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks very much to Warren Solomon, our guest this week, for his time talking about Freewheeling magazine. If you'd like to check out some issues of freewheeling, Warren has scanned 50 issues and made them available online. You can find them at sustainabletransport.com.au. You can also check out an Instagram account set up to highlight 
items from the archive and that's on Instagram at Freewheeling Archive. As always, a reminder that 3CR relies on the support of its listeners to stay on the air. If you'd like to support the station by making a donation or subscribing, you can do so by going to 3cr.org.au. Coming up next is Shebop. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.